I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. Nicole Lee is a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert, leadership coach, nationally recognized speaker, and strategist. Nicole regularly consults with nonprofits, schools, businesses, and political and social movements to improve their climate for themselves and all of those they serve. Through Inclusive Life, a project founded by Nicole, individuals and communities can access resources including coaching, advising, and training to infuse the principles of equity and inclusion in every aspect of their lives. Nicole has given testimony to the U.S. Congress, the United Nations, and other international bodies. She has been a commenter on CNN, MSNBC, NPR, and BBC. She's been recognized for outstanding contributions in the private and public sectors through numerous awards, and I have personally hired her not only to facilitate a call with my clients and provide support and individual um, attention advice for them, but she's also working with me personally so that I can become more inclusive with my practice as a business coach and to serve registered dietitians. Uh, Can you explain to us what is inclusion training? Well, sure. I mean, there's a lot of different modalities and topics to, to to cover when you're doing inclusion training. A lot of folks talk about bias, for example, as just an intro, if you will. How does bias play a role in how we see each other? We talk about issues of microaggressions. We talk about um, issues of team building and cross-cultural communication. But overall, we use the term inclusion because inclusion says more than just we have different people from different identities, from different backgrounds in a particular community. Inclusion says that we strive in this community for everyone to feel welcome and safe and respected, that both their needs but also their voices are always at the table in decision making, Um, that we don't leave people behind in how we uh, create uh, our solutions because it's simple. We actually complicate it, right? We make sure that people are are actually counted no matter what. Can you uh, go back and, and chat a little bit about what, is, what are microaggressions? I don't know if I'm too familiar with that. If you could give an example and, and let us know um, what that means. Sure. Microaggressions are actually probably the most pervasive way that we perpetuate racism, particularly in the workplace, but also in our casual conversations. Microaggressions are social exchanges, right? So often it's conversation. It also can be something that we show or display, but there are ways in which we other each other, right? And we other each other often based upon one person being part of a dominant group in our society and one person being a part of a suppress, uh, an oppressed or a, uh, a, a, a group in our society that isn't valued. So for an example, we, I hear a lot of times, and I know other, many other people of color or black people hear questions like, where are you from? And then when you answer the question, they say, oh, no, 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 I mean, where, where are you really from? As if you couldn't possibly be from someplace in the United States. And even if you answer that question, then they ask you where your parents are from. 
Now, in many ways, these can be seen as innocent questions, but they're asked of certain people all the time. So the micro part of microaggressions is there are these small exchanges that happen, but they happen a lot to specific groups of people. And when they happen over time a lot, they actually cause something called microaggression stress, which affects folks' health. So it's a health issue. It affects a cognitive function. It also affects emotions. So I'll, I'll work with clients, for example, with corporate clients, and they'll say, we brought in this person. They were amazing. They're so good at their job. They're a person of color. They've come into the organization, and now, like, the life has gone out of them. They're not as amazing as they used to be. They're not as productive. They're not as efficient. And oftentimes, you find that person has experienced so many microaggressions over time that it actually has impacted them because they have to spend time, they have to spend brain function, cognitive function, dealing with these microaggressions that constantly happen and trying to figure out what happened, trying to understand what they mean, right? What, what's the meaning from it? Trying to understand how to fit in. All of those things actually impact you, even though people say, well, that shouldn't impact you, that's work. And yet it, they're so pervasive that they have a massive consequence. So it's really important for businesses in particular, even if it's a very small business, to really be cognizant of how people talk to each other. Because many of these conversations do amount to, in the end, harassment. And we've actually seen that um, even in courts, that microaggressions over time left unchecked actually account, actually uh, add up to harassment. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's really helpful examples. And um, how did you get into the line of work that you're doing, Nicole? How did you become an inclusion and diversity um, specialist and coach? I know you have a really robust background. If you could um, just talk a little bit about what your bio doesn't share. Sure. Well, I, I was an international human rights lawyer for a lot of years. And one of the things that happened was I began working with other organizations that were doing similar work. And they would find that they weren't as successful in working with different community groups around the world. That the organization that I worked with, um, that was an African-American organization at the time, um, or, or an African-American focused and founded organization, um, had a much better track record in really being able to collaborate um, long-term with different organizations, particularly in Africa and Latin America. And one of the things that we found, it was a cultural competency issue that we actually came prepared as an organization to know that we did not have all the answers, that we weren't um, the specialists or the experts just because we were from the United States. And the ways that we worked and the way that we talked to people had a major impact on why our partnerships lasted so long. And so maybe 15 years ago, I started really looking into like, well, so what is this whole deal of diversity, equity, and inclusion? And I spent a lot of time, a lot of years in training, but also doing facilitations around diversity and inclusion. And so at a certain point, I decided, wow, this is not just something that can help international organizations. I'm seeing in the United States as well, a real need for people, not just big corporations or, or like large nonprofits to have this conversation, but like one-on-one -on -one people need to be having these conversations. People need to have an, an understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Also, I became very interested in the research around children and how children are impacted both by, you know, these kind of undercover, undercover issues of racism and sexism and homophobia, like how that impacted even the smallest children. Um, and I didn't see that being talked about very much. So I became really interested in that and have spent a lot of my time on child development and how that relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. That's great. 
Now we just hopped off a facilitated conversation for my clients uh, where Nicole answered a lot of questions at a really great hour and a half chat where we deep, did some deep diving into what's going on and, and how us as practitioners can um, really be sensitive in our practice and create an inclusive, inclusive or you know, improve inclusion in our practices. So I just wanted to highlight like a couple topics that were discussed there, one of them being how to incorporate inclusion into your practice when it comes to content like social media or messaging if you do have a website or any piece of you know um, enrollment so when it comes to how you are finding a client and then getting them to work with you and um, what are ways that we as practitioners can be more inclusive or just be more aware mm -hmm. no it was a wonderful conversation and i think what what came to bear for me was just this idea that most people want their businesses to be more inclusive. It's not a, if they want it anymore, it's just the how, how to do it. Yeah. And a part of it is the messaging, but also a big part of it is what you're prepared for. While, while folks are messaging initially, if this is a new area for you, if talking about, let's say, racial is a new area for you, one of the things I want you to consider is how you can be authentic in that reality as well as describing what your intention is. So it's not a bad thing to say, I'm new to this, right? I knew this were not things that I was thinking about. It's actually better than pretending that you've been saying it all along because someone will likely come out and say you weren't, right? So just to be honest and say, you know what, this is new for me and I'm realizing some things and I'm doing some work. These are the things I believe right now. These are the things I'm going to attempt to do. One can even ask um, their community to join them in that pursuit. You know, join me as I'm learning this or learning that. Heard from a lot of folks that they want to provide resources, a list of resources, things to be thinking about. I think those things as a preliminary or intro step are really important. Then it's about doing the work. I mean, the next step of the, the marketing and the providing, um, getting the word out that you're ready is actually being ready, right? So there's work that we all have to do to make sure we're, um, we are able to provide the best value for our clients. Um, as dietitians, one of the things that we talked a lot about, and I'm super excited about, is this no the notions of health equity and how dietitians can have a major impact there, both in their communities, but also in the societal conversation. And so figuring out how to you know, get in where you fit in right there is not just worthy of your business. It also really helps the movement for justice as well. And so, um, but the starting point of authenticity and vulnerability is super important for folks. We cannot pretend that we're a place where we're not, right? And we, we set ourselves up, unfortunately, when we, when we do that, when we want to say, oh, I'm going to show my leadership by saying, I know all the things and I was ready for this and I always knew and that's why I have this great offer, that ultimately fails because it's hard to sustain. Even when you start from a place of, I'm, you know, I will vulnerably say I'm brand new to this, the work can be hard, the work can be difficult. So we should give ourselves the best chance of being super successful and try to present the, the truth of who we are. It also allows our clients and the people who are following us to also show the truth of who they are. And that's really a big part of what's going to make both your business successful, but also you know this movement towards justice more successful. Yeah, well, beautifully said. And when it comes to showing your face, that's a big part of what I teach. I tell uh, my clients and dietitians to show their face, to be able to you know, create authenticity um, with their audience. But I have been asked recently for a woman who is white 
Um, how can you show your face and still be inclusive if you identify as a you know, Caucasian woman and you're trying to be more inclusive in your practice? Sure, I think it's really important to recognize the difference between hiding, right? And understanding what the moment we're in is and promoting and centering the needs of others. So I need people's faces. I need your clients to show their face in their own business. That's absolutely essential. I don't want them to hide because this is a moment that is about police brutality or this is a moment that we're talking about coronavirus. We are all a part of the solution. Now, the question is, in our marketing, like, do we privilege the bodies of others? Like, do we privilege Black bodies? Do we show Black bodies sometimes? Is that a part of our marketing? I, I would suggest that just from a marketing standpoint, that is probably something you should be doing if you're not. But in terms of moments where it's for you to be present, for you to talk about the meaning and the vision and the mission of your business, you absolutely have to be there. Another thing that we talked about during uh, the, the last meeting that I thought was so interesting is just building relationships, right? So who are your relationships with? Sometimes in our marketing, we put in like people that we know, people that we work with. If you, if you have a diversified group of people you're working with, then you have the opportunity to center other people or to have other people's images there. It's often hard though, if you do not have those relationships to do that. And so thinking about actually, how do we broaden our relationships? How do we broaden the communities that we work with um, and not use those communities or those people to prop up a diverse vision, but how do we, again, approach it authentically and figure out, okay, well, who can we privilege? Who can we, who, who can we amplify? Not just their voices, but also what they look like. Um, there are, I have some clients who do this very masterfully, frankly, and are absolutely the face of their business. You would not, you, if I said their name, you'd know exactly who I was talking about. And yet still, they're also able to show images that portray people at, frankly, all sizes, but also all races, all ethnicities. And that also is a signal that they are prepared to work with people that are also from different ethnicities, different races, and of all sizes. Now, if you send that bat signal out, you want to be prepared. And so that's why I keep going back to there's a lot of work that has to be done. And one not only has to be honest with their audience, but they have to be honest with themselves about what work that they still have to do in order to be prepared to have this diverse clientele. Yeah. Now, something you and I spoke about uh, that I found really interesting is internet dragging. I had never heard that particular term used before, but for a lot of listeners, you might have had this happen with you. Uh, can you first describe what does that mean and how can we uh, as practitioners, as business owners and being inclusive manage uh, when that happens? Sure. Um, so I use the term to really describe it's it's actually the middle of a process that happens. And the middle part is where someone has said something or done something um, within the social media context mostly, and it's often the business owner. Something has happened, a conversation has occurred, and they handled it poorly. And then what happens is people begin to pile on within comments and in, in, in direct messages and say how disgusted they are with the conversation. Sometimes what happens, what, what almost amplifies it is some people are disgusted about what's happened. Some people are fine with what happened and then those people begin to fight um, on, on social media. And you see this happen often when uh, a big issue is afoot 
Like right now we have the issue of police brutality that has been an ongoing issue in this country. That is an issue that yes, I do believe that most people should be aware of and know where they stand on it and be prepared to talk about it to some degree, especially if you own a business. But what often happens is for example, a conversation will start to occur in a group, like a group that's managed. And instead of the leader of the group dealing with it or the moderator of the group dealing with it, they kind of either let it go or they stop the conversation entirely. And oftentimes when it gets stopped, that's when the ire turns to the moderator and says, well, wait, why can't we have this uh, robust conversation? Often it ha that also happens because people feel unprepared to talk about race or racism. And so the unpreparedness actually only makes the conversation more vitriolic and worse, right? And so how do we avoid it? One is to frankly recognize that this particular issue is going to permeate every aspect of US society. You cannot hide from it. Um, you, to say that your particular business doesn't care or, or cannot hold or does not deal with issues of race or, or issues of injustice um, simply will not fly. I would not have said that two years ago. I think that there are some businesses back then that could have said, well, this is not something that we're gonna work on. Right now, in the moment that we're in, that is not going to fly. Um, you are going to have to determine what you believe and what you feel, and then really be able to communicate that if you have a large audience. And this message is kind of for people with very, very large audiences. One of the ways, one of the things that people should try to avoid doing that was done, I believe last week by a, a very um, prominent business is to cut off communication, to stop comments, to not be prepared to facilitate the conversation. That is also going to bring about, you know, some difficulties. Oftentimes when you hear people say, oh my gosh, this person said something or something happened in a big community and a person was dragged or, you know, people are leaving or people are upset. Oftentimes these issues have been simmering, simmering under the surface for a very long time. And I can, I could get into details, but there are many communities where these have been issues for a long time and they've never been dealt with and now they are coming to the fore. And so it's really up to those leaders to figure out where they want to stand on this and how they want to do repair. If it happens and you have made a mistake and you have not been present for your community in the way that you feel you need to be, that you weren't in integrity, and all of us have moments where we do the wrong thing, a big part of it is the apology. A big part of it is saying, I am sorry, and I will do better. The ap apologies to me are about action. The words that come before, that's, they're just words. Apologies demand action at this point. And actually, sometimes what we do is we say the words, like we say we're sorry, and then we wait to see the response to decide what we're going to do or if we're going to do anything. That is not the answer. The answer today, really, because people are tired of words, is absolutely to say that you're sorry, but then begin to make that progress and repair. And that would be my suggestion to folks. To try to avoid the conversation, to avoid you know, a, a, a a potential situation where you would get dragged is actually inviting the drag. So it's really about embracing the fact that just like starting a business is uncomfortable, maintaining a business, learning how to be a business owner, learning how to be a business owner in 2020 with what is going on. We've got the coronavirus, we've got, we've got racial injustice and police violence. We have a lot of different things going on and we're not going to be able to just hide um, behind our, our best practice in our particular business or hide behind how great we are at particular, particular aspects of business to avoid dealing with this.
Yeah, really powerful conversation, Nicole. Anything you want to leave us with today? Thank you so much for um, for joining this episode. I know my my listeners are really going to um, enjoy hearing your your take on this. Yeah, I just I guess I would say that you know it's these are difficult, challenging times for everyone, and. Yet, I really believe we were made for this. We were made for this difficult, challenging time. And so it is demanding from us all that we really take stock as where we are and what we need to learn and how we grow. If we're able to do that, like if we're able to show our communities that we also are in progress and in process and are willing to be vulnerable and make mistakes, I believe that we're actually going to benefit as individuals, but our businesses are going to, de- are going to develop and benefit from it as well. Thank you so much for joining today. And if you could just remind us where to find you on social media or your website. Sure. My website is nicolelee.org. And my Instagram is nicoleil. And Twitter is nicolecelee. And you can find me in my um, Facebook community, Inclusive Life. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Nicole. Thank you. If you are ready to take Instagram seriously and use this platform as a business tool, download my free Instagram guide. I walk you through part of my proven methods so you can start taking action and attracting your ideal client via social media marketing. Grab my freebie found on my website or show notes at LibbyRothschild.com.